right. Uh, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What's the Story with Jillian and Shauna. Today, we're talking about episode 10 of Wishbone, Bone of Arc, and it is covering Joan of Arc and um, the story written by Mark Twain. So it's a kind of fictionalized, but I think they tried to stick mostly to the, to the actual historical pieces of Joan of Arc's life. Um, so let's dig into it a little bit. Shauna, do you have a relationship to Joan of Arc as a, a historical figure? Honestly, I don't think so. I think Wishbone is the first thing I think of. I think with this particular actress on Wishbone, this is like one of the primary Wishbone roles I think of. Um, and I also know how to say her name in French because of our French class, but I don't think I was studied it. And then the main relationship I have with Joan of Arc these days is Ali and AJ, um, a potential breakup song fame, released a song this year called Joan of Arc on the Dance Floor, which is a very oh. good song. <laughs> That's, That's interesting. I loved Joan of Arc as a kid. I thought she was like a true badass. I was super into her as a concept. I went to Catholic school for the first part of my life. And so I think like the idea of sainthood and like all of that, I thought was super fascinating. And I was always on the lookout for lady saints because there are a lot fewer of them than there are male saints, of course. Um, and I had like saint playing cards or like trading cards as a kid because like Catholic school. Like, Wait, that's amazing. <laughs> what do you do with them? You just you, like trade them with your friends. Like you collect <laughs> them like baseball cards and then you trade them with people. Except I don't think I knew anybody else that had them. I think I bought them at like, I don't know, a gift shop at a church or something. <laughs> that's fascinating. Yeah, and there was a, um, I remember there was a St. Lucy, she was the patron saint of blindness, I was really into her for a while. Um, so I did do a project on her, on Joan of Arc in middle school, we had to pick like a historical hero or something like that, and I chose Joan of Arc. Um, and there's also uh, the Joan of Arc Chapel at Marquette University in Milwaukee, oh. where we both grew up. Yeah. Um, so that was another tie I had to her as a kid. Like, I didn't know that much about it, but I knew that the chapel was there. And so I was like, I just thought it was really cool. And I did um, a little bit of research on that specific chapel. Um, and it was originally, it was a chapel built in France in like the 1400s. And then it was brought to the States. It was purchased and brought to the States and it was in Long Island. And then it was, sold again and disassembled and brought to Milwaukee and in the in the chapel there's a stone that is um supposedly the stone that she that Joan of Arc knelt on before she died and that's it was like so kissed cool. by her yeah and so it wasn't like that's not the original chapel that she prayed in before she died but it was like the stone that she prayed on is in the chapel that's, That's so cool. interesting. There's so many things like that, like in Milwaukee or in Pittsburgh where I live now, where I'm like, cool things I didn't get a chance to do. <laughs> like here, it's like yeah. quarantine or I didn't think to do. And it's like a neat little hidden treasure. Yeah, I've actually, I've never been there, but my dad um, was a bus driver, a city bus driver when I was growing up. And so he knows all of this like random Milwaukee trivia from having driven around the city for 20 years and learning and like pointing out things to people who are visiting. So he, he's definitely talked about it quite a bit. And so that was how I knew about it. But 
there's a little hot piece of trivia. If anyone's ever in Milwaukee, you can come visit her chapel. That's so cool. And like the idea of like people buying things in Europe and disassembling them, putting them here. I remember studying about that when we were talking about like the Gilded Age and things like that. Oh, yeah. It's just like the true like a sign of American wealth is like, oh, we don't actually have history and culture here. <laughs> so we just bring it to ourselves. Like, yeah, we're going to like import white history and culture from other <laughs> white cultures here. Yeah, <laughs> like, okay. well, that's that's basically it so it looks uh in the research that i did um gertrude hill gavin was a daughter of an american railroad magnate and a devotee of saint joan of arc so when she learned about this chapel she like acquired it and had it shipped to her property in long island and then she also had a french renaissance um chateau shipped from france and then like pretty soon after that france was like no we're not shipping you our things anymore <laughs> and they, they um created a law that um banned exporting of their treasures <laughs> wild wild they're like yeah. let's take all these treasures during imperialism but like right now <laughs> we're done giving you our treasure yeah you can't take our stuff we'll just take other people's things <laughs> Love it. Love it. Oh my gosh. I'm learning so much already. Well, I do have a history degree. So once we were like, oh, here's the historical thing. I was like, oh, don't mind if I do some research. <laughs> um, so should we dive into the episode? Let's do it. It's a good one. It is. It's a very good episode. So the episode opens with Wishbone trying to get some more water out of his bowl, like licking it clean. And he's pushing it across the room and it gets stuck under a cabinet. And um, as a dog person, I have seen this act many a time. We had a dog who like, when she was hungry, used to like clank her tags on the bowl. My dog Feeny now just goes and sits next to her bowl. <laughs> and then she pushes it around the room. So they're very insistent. They, they know what they need and they'll get it however they can. <laughs> I thought it, I was really impressed, obviously, by like training the dog to like push it under the cabinet. Yeah. But then also like Joe showing off that he's not a great pet owner because of the three kids, he does Damn. not notice that this has happened. I know. I a couple of lines down here. I have Sam helps Wishbone because Joe's the worst owner ever. <laughs> like. Wishbone's like sitting there barking. Joe's still talking about his soccer team, blah, blah, blah. He does not care that Wishbone is like dying of thirst over there. Yeah, so the kids are here to talk about this big soccer kerfuffle. Yeah, they're talking. Jeff Kelly, their leading scorer on their team, got injured. And so they don't know how they're going to win against the Blast, which is like the league's best team. And I, well, actually, they didn't talk, they didn't mention that it was a soccer team at first, and so I thought it might be basketball, because we know Joe's super into basketball, but it's soccer. Um, that's interesting. I guess right away, I assumed it was soccer. Oh, well, that's, that is the typical 90s child. Thing. Yeah, maybe because David was on the team, too, and I definitely did not think David played basketball. <laughs> I didn't know David played any sports. That was a revelation. <laughs> it was the 90s. <laughs> um, so David's dad is their coach, and he's a really good coach. And so they're excited to have Mr. Barnes, his Barnes, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and 
because Jeff is off the team right now, Sam offers to play because she's really good at her team and her team on her team and her team was undefeated this season. And so she and like she's the leading scorer on her team, I think. Yeah, she is basically who they need. And yeah. so she convinces the boys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Yeah, she, oh my god, she is the Mia Ham of Oakdale. Yeah. Um, she was another figure I loved as a child. <laughs> um, she gets the boys on board and they go talk to David's dad. And he's not sure if he can get Sam on the team in time, but David reads the rules. And of course, David has like the rule book handy. He's like, oh, here on page 12. Um, Real quick, I just want to talk a little bit about how they convince um how she convinces the boys that they should help her out so we learned these facts that you know her team was undefeated and she says like my team was undefeated i was the leading scorer and joe is like uh we need someone good <laughs> like we need to be the blast and then david literally restates what sam says and joe goes OMG, you're right. <laughs> I was like, this is adult working life in a nutshell. <laughs> like, woman explicitly states that she has skills and she's qualified and she has ideas. They are ignored. A man restates that she has skills and ideas and suddenly it's believable. <laughs> I well, like, I think that that comes up a lot. I noticed something about that later too, where that like they completely disregard Sam's skills just because she's a girl and it's so dumb. Yes. And I, I was actually kind of appalled with Wishbone, if I'm being honest, but. <laughs> so they go to convince David's dad. David reads the rules, figures out how they get Sam on the team. They have to like submit a written request ahead of the game, which Coach Barnes, which also Joe is calling him Coach Barnes in this scene. <laughs> that was very funny. <laughs> Um, Coach Barnes gets that under control and they are good to go. They're going to give Sam a chance to uh, try out with the team. Again, as you pointed out, she's already proven herself. She should yeah. not have to and they try also, out. They also don't explicitly say that this is a boys soccer team like or a boys team to begin with. Like uh, The whole episode until maybe like something that happens at the end, they don't actually say that this is a boys sports league. Right. But also, like, what other option do they have? Clearly, Joe and David aren't good enough because they're concerned. So, like, let's see them play. Who cares? Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, yeah. They I don't know. I should go through all this out. rigmarole. <laughs> so, um, Sam goes. Obviously, she's amazing. She kills the tryout. She gets on the team. But then in school the next day, there's this random girl who we've never seen before wearing a very Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen hat. Um, and she was like trying to scare Sam and saying like, Sam should be really intimidated because the blast always win and magic is going to get crushed. And then oh, I, so, so rude, <laughs> poor Sam. <laughs> but also who named these teams? This reminds me when I was on soccer team, a soccer team when I was a kid, cause it was the nineties. I played on a team called Elite, and I literally did not know what that word meant because I was, <laughs> and I thought it was the worst name. And my friend was on the Starburst, and I thought that was a much better name for a team. <laughs> magic, I, magic makes sense to me because this was the '90s, so the Orlando Magic basketball team. Yeah, Magic like Johnson, all of that. No, like Shaq was playing for the Magic. Like that was a well, name. Yeah, I know, but I mean, like Magic Johnson was oh, also yeah, a yeah, thing, yeah. and like 
Yeah, like, there was magic, I feel like, was around in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, Steve. <laughs> blast is like Taco Bell Baja Blast. <laughs> I just think it's weird. I just think teams should be named after, like, animals or, like, tangible things. Like, not the blast. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, I anyway. think... This is like a lot, going back to our conversation around Marquette, like, this is a larger conversation around like mascots and things like that. I agree that like animals and concepts, I think are the best team names. I think like, don't name it on like, like blast, like that's fine to me, like arsenal, that's fine. Like these aren't like. Well, yeah, I mean, like, I'm glad they were on, like the Chiefs and the Cowboys or something yeah. like, I, whatever, like something horrible, but like. I agree. I still think it's weird. Yes. <laughs> it could have been way worse, for sure, because it was the 90s. Um, okay, so the next scene we see with them, after Sam gets all intimidated by this girl at school, Sam and Wanda go visit Ellen, and Sam admits that she's super nervous because of that girl at school whose name we don't know. And Ellen and Wanda are just super encouraging, very nice ladies. They're just telling her to do her best. And Ellen tells a story about a softball game in college where like the bases were loaded and she was the next one up at bat and she was just like so awesome and knocked it out of the park, which I really don't find that helpful because like that's like a one in a million chance that that could happen. Well, okay, good point. I guess I took it as like, it was her, so it, that's preceded by Ellen saying like, you're a good player and your friends need you and that's why you're doing it. So like, that's like the feeling that I thought Ellen was trying to talk about. I was so distracted by this story because I was like, we knew Ellen was a sports superstar and this is the first like proof that we had. And I was like, dude, she clearly won the NCAA championships in like a D1 <laughs> softball team. Well, I did, I was distracted by the fact that we had already thought that she had played on the WNBA. Yes. And so apparently she was also a softball star, which is kind of remarkable. Well, Sam also plays multiple sports. I know, she's a multi-sport athlete, and I can get behind that. I'm all about ladies dominating the world. It's true. Um, I did think, I mean, it's a nice story. I kind of thought that after Sam left, Ellen was going to be like, that never happened. I was just trying to encourage her. <laughs> I thought it was so cute that they, like, after Sam, after they encourage Sam, and they're very supportive, like, Sam walks out, and then the two adults look at each other like, oh my god, she's so nervous. Like, it's so cute. But also, it's like, why was she hanging out with Wanda and Ellen? <laughs> like, well, she, see, her, she doesn't seem to have as strong of a relationship with her mom as she has yeah. with her dad. And so maybe Wanda and Ellen kind of serve that, like, role in her life. They, like, I don't know, give her lady advice. That's what I thought, too. I just thought, like, what could the circumstances be? But, like, maybe they were just playing outside, like, and Wanda saw her and was like, hey, let, come in, let's talk or something. But I agree. Yeah. That's all, those are all the assumptions that I made. But I also thought, like, wow, what an interesting concept. <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely it was <laughs> it was interesting um and it, so overall the, I just like that they basically their message during this whole conversation was really like win or lose like we're really proud of you yeah for sure and I think like I think that that's an important lesson to teach kids right like it doesn't matter just do your best and I think that that comes up later too like yeah winning isn't the most important thing but I think it was a kind of strange concept, but it got across a good message. So yeah. 
Uh, all right. So the next scene we see is they're at the soccer game. It's an indoor soccer game, which I feel like is very important because I didn't know anybody who played indoor soccer as a kid. But they were playing indoor soccer. Wishbone is, of course, at the arena because, like, <laughs> I thought that was weird too. <laughs> Wishbone has a pass to go wherever he wants in Oakdale. He just does what he wants. And I love um, that her dad was recording the game on a camcorder. Oh, yeah, that was very 90s. <laughs> so, like, part of what we're watching is kind of like through his lens, it feels like we're like watching. Um, as he's recording her amazing game. Her and body Sam's, bubble. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's like focusing on her feet. <laughs> yeah. She's got excellent footwork. Um, Sam scores the team's only goal and ties up the game because she's a beast and like I don't know what those boys were doing just running around in circles. And so the game is tied. Excuse me, Feeny, I'm recording a podcast right now. Um, I so the game is tied and there's a shootout because of course there is and then Ellen has to explain to Wanda what that is which is ridiculous because every 90s sports movie ever ended in a shootout and so no child watching this needed an explanation of what was happening I knew that's a good point I was like I never thought about that because when I also made a note of Ellen having to explain the rules to Wanda, but then I also wrote after that, Wanda is me. (laughs) (laughs) But don't you know what a shootout is? Yeah, I do. I mean, I've seen Mighty Ducks. Yeah, the Mighty Ducks. The Big Green. Everybody has a shootout at the end. That's how it works. (laughs) (sighs) Come on, Ellen. And Wanda, for that matter. Wanda needs to watch some more 90s movies. I can give her some recommendations. Yeah, like, Ellen has a child, so she's been to a lot of sports games. Wanda doesn't have a child and wouldn't go to these movies on a date, so. (laughs) So, they explain what a shootout is, and that Joel is, Joel, Joe is the goalie, which I thought was very interesting. I don't know why. I didn't expect that, but maybe he's just, he's not a good actor, as we've established. So maybe he wasn't very good at acting in the running around part. <laughs> maybe he's not a good runner. Maybe they're like, oh God, what is this kid doing? <laughs> Get in the goal, Joe. Get in the goal. <laughs> so, um, and Joel, Joe, oh, I keep calling him Joel because of goal. Joe didn't seem nervous about being the goalie. He seemed like very, well, not surprising because Joe is, you know, he's got an ego the size of Texas, that kid. But he was very confident in his um, ability to be a goalie. So anyway, so they, it ends up being two to two and Sam has the final kick, of course, because Sam's just here to save the day. She scores a goal and they win the shootout. Yay! Amazing! Sam is so amazing. And then they're off on the sidelines celebrating, and the blast coach comes over, and he was like, oh, wow, really great job, but just so you know, you didn't file her name in time. She was supposed to, it was supposed to be submitted 48 hours in advance, not 24 hours in advance, so your team doesn't qualify for this win, and I'm going to protest. This guy. Ugh, and I like that David's dad was like, be a good sport. Like, we won fair and square. I know. It was such a good point. Like, it doesn't matter what the technicalities are. They still won the game. And, like, don't be a child about it. 
they, Coach Barnes, he really, he was delivering good messages this episode. Yeah, and what an emotional roller coaster for Sam. Like, she was so nervous, then she has these two big goals, and she feels like she's, like, a part of this team's success, and this man comes over and, like, stomps on her head. I know, and she really, like, then I'm sure she felt horrible, like, really guilty about this, because, you know, if the team, if she hadn't been on the team, and if they had just won by some stroke of luck, because clearly they weren't going to win without her, you know, then their win would have would have counted. It's just really not very nice. I agree. So they're at a meeting with the league um, to determine whether or not Sam it was eligible to play. And she gives a really great speech about teamwork and she like how she had to you know be brave and be on the team but that she wasn't the only person who won you know it was a team effort and it's a very nice speech about like soccer is a team sport and one person isn't the reason that a game um that a team wins or loses the game <laughs> they like pan to the blast coach and he's just like eating the cinnamon in the corner it was, it was wild so, it was so weird and I think that was, like, um, a 90s trope of, like, uh, totally. uh, like s- person, like, eating donuts all the time and, like, getting their way and, like, uh-huh. kind of, like just, letting, like, using the law <laughs> in their yeah. favor. Yeah. This is very weird. Like, he's not even sitting at the table with them. Like, the league is at the table. Sam and David and Joe are at the table. And then this guy's just, like, sitting in the corner having a snack. <laughs> it's very weird. Um... And then the league president guy. Um, I figured like, he was a commissioner. But commissioner, there you go. Probably the commissioner of soccer. A word I probably only know because of Bud Selig. Probably. <laughs> the only reason I know that word. Um, so he is like, he acknowledges that Sam was like a really excellent player and um that they won obviously the game but because of a technicality they're stripped of their win um but then he like throws her a bone and is like oh you can play next year so stupid this was another point where like david's dad was like are you trying to tell us that the only reason we won this game was because this girl joined our team she's never played boy soccer before so how could she be the only reason we won and i was like that is a weird argument sir Girls can be better at sports than boys. She doesn't have to play boy soccer. She doesn't have different rules. I think that was his point, though. I think his point was that, like, it's the same. It's not like lacrosse, which, like, literally does have different rules for, like, women's and men's. Like, it is the same rules. Her skill is, like, unsurpassed regardless of who she's playing with. And and he, I also like that the commissioner made a point of distinguishing between, like, the spirit and the letter of the rules. Like, um, that was something that the first company I worked for out of school would like talk about a lot because we worked with within like a very highly regulated environment and they're like the spear of the rules means one thing and the letter means another thing and you have to recognize that both go into all of your work processes so yeah. I thought that was like an interesting adult thing that I would pay attention to that you know eight-year-old me would not have noticed <laughs> yeah definitely definitely would not have resonated as a kid but it's important <laughs> Yes. Um, so they go back to David's house, I think, and after the meeting, and they're going to have a pizza party and celebrate their win anyway, because they know that no matter what the league says, they still won, and they still, you know, defeated 
the blast. And whether it's recorded on paper or not isn't really what matters. Which I thought was a good way to end it. It was definitely a positive spin. It was, I kind of liked, honestly, that their, like, win got erased because it teaches kids that, like, shit happens. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, things don't always go your way. But then to, like, see the bright side of it and to, like, recognize what is really important was good. And I like that all the adults really just kept articulating that they were really proud of Sam for doing something she was scared to do. Like, when she had that very last kick in the shootout, like, she looked to her dad for support. And, like, these are adults in her life who, like, are supportive, which it's kind of like that community-based, like, caregiving kind of thing where like it really does take a village like that's what this means yeah well i think that wishbone does a really good job of showing that throughout the whole series right like these kids are definitely raised by committee their parents i mean both sam and joe have single parents essentially and david's parents seem to be kind of sharing the load too it's like four parents parenting three kids and they really seem to be doing it as a group. And Wanda also, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in that mix from time to time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that was the end of the Wishbone story. And the story of Joan of Arc kind of mirrors that in that, you know, they draw this parallel between Sam and Joan of Arc, which when it first opened, I wrote, it was, kind of, it was quite the stretch because they did, Wishbone, Sam gives Wishbone his bowl of water and he was like, oh, she's so wonderful. She reminds me of Joan of Arc. And I was like, okay. Like, <laughs> the girl used a faucet. That was all she did. But as, as the story goes on, it definitely draws better parallels. Um, and so they explain that this is a retelling of Twain, Mark Twain's story of Joan of Arc, which I thought was good. That was interesting. Um, and I Wishbone, think this is also where I learned about that. Like, I think I, oh yeah, a Wishbone, I wouldn't have known that like Mark Twain is a person who kind of created this historical fiction narrative that we generally know about Joan of Arc. Yeah, no, I didn't know that either. I did. I mean, I'm sure I. I know I've seen this episode, but I didn't realize that that's what this was until we watched it today. Um, so in this episode, Wishbone plays Joan of Arc's best friend, Louie, um, which <laughs> I kind of wanted him to play Joan of Arc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I was really hoping that he would, but he didn't. It's okay. Um, so the story of Joan of Arc opens with um, the family, Joan and her family and Louis sitting around a fire and um, uh, it seems like a homeless person comes to the door looking for warmth and like kind of tells them about how like how lucky they are to have each other and to have the fire and it was cold and snowing outside and she offers, Joan offers her porridge to this man and her father doesn't want her to. Um, I think kind of just saying like, we don't, we don't have very much. And so you shouldn't feel obligated to share what little we have with others. And she was like, no. I think also he was very distrustful of this guy. He was like, yes. oh, it's just a homeless man. Right. Yeah. And Joan was like, I don't need it. I don't, it's okay. I'm happy to give it to her. Happy to give it to him. So she wins and um this stranger stays and he's telling stories from the war france is currently fighting in the hundred year war against england and um 
saying that France needs a hero who is willing to stand up and fight for them and um, that like that's the only way they're going to win is if they have somebody who's willing to put themselves on the line. And so later, Joan and Louis are sitting under their tree, which is, I guess, kind of like their hangout spot. And she tells Louis that she's had this vision that France will be rescued, and she's the one who's supposed to lead France to victory. And they, like, make a point to say that she's only a child, because I think Joan of Arc was only, like, 13 or something. Obviously, yeah, this actress so. is, like, much older. Yeah. Um, so they like Louis make sure like, to like talk to your dad. Yeah, he was like, they're like, I don't think this is a good idea. I think we should talk to some adults about this. And she's like, nope, I'm the one. I know it's supposed to be me. And in the history, which they didn't talk about at all in the Wishbone episode, which I thought was interesting, was like the histor the history of Joan of Arc is that she has a vision from God who tells her that she is the one. She's a very religious figure, and I mean she's canonized by the Catholic Church. Like she's a saint. And so she's supposed to have this like really strong spiritual connection which they don't talk about at all in the wishbone which is just interesting um i agree even with the part with the homeless man like that seems like a very like that's a clear christian parable right <laughs> like oh for yeah. sure for sure i mean he's i'm sure i haven't i mean i haven't read the story in a long time or like done a lot of research on it in a long time but i'm i'm sure that he is meant to to be an angel who's come to heaven or come to earth to like you know you know influence Joan and her family or something like that mm. and I think yeah it's a very strong Christian story allegory I also liked at their tree where they chit chat there's a million candles in that scene. I know it was very romantical <laughs> it was like what a set piece like there's so many candles <laughs> well maybe because although it was dark and I was like yeah. otherwise it would have just been like a tree in a dark yeah. field like there had to be something around them for visual interest no I think yeah. they did that well like they lit it in a good way and they like you're right visual interest <laughs> but it was it was very interesting <laughs> yeah. and I liked in the scene how you know, Louis's like, oh, you should talk to your dad. And she goes, nope, I'm going to the king. I'm really scared, but I'm not going to let fear keep me from doing the right thing. Kind of like how Sam had been. Yeah, I think this is really where, like, the Joan of Arc and Sam plot lines start to, like, really converge. Like, I think you can really see the strong parallels between those two stories at this point. So Joan and Louis go to meet the king, and there's this this guy sitting on the throne who Joan recognizes isn't the king like he's a fake king he's just a guy wearing a crown and so she like kind of scans the crowd and she sees the king hiding in the crowd in disguise um and like goes up to him and bows and says like I know that you're the real king and I need your help and um because she's able to spot him and like see through his disguise the king re like recognizes that she's serious and um, says that he'll give her whatever she needs and she requests an army of his best men and he pulls together this army for her and that again I think is probably somewhere where in like a religious story they would be talking about like she's had this premonition she's like you know got this otherworldly ability to see through his disguise. I thought this disguise also was interesting because the two men had similarly shaped 
wigs. It was just different <laughs> hairstyles. Like one person had like, it was like you and me really. Like one of them had like the same cut, but long, like straight hair. And the other person had the exact same like triangle cut, but it was really curly. Yeah. <laughs> so like if somebody had maybe seen a drawing or a painting, then you could reasonably have confused the two. Mm-hmm. It also reminded people me people would of, confuse us for each other if we tried to disguise ourselves. Like, they, could we do an yeah. takes two situation? Any, I think that's what we should have done if we had met. If we had met when I knew Jess, then we could have done it <laughs> takes two. <laughs> I also thought about how in Star Wars Episode One, not a great movie, but they're... Anyway, there are lots of thoughts in Star Wars Episode One, but this must be where George Lucas got the idea of having Keira Knightley pretend to be Natalie Portman for the, oh. the next like three movies. Like this is like part of the premise where <laughs> Keira Knightley is dressed up as a queen and Natalie Portman is a real queen, but she's dressed up as like a handmaiden. So yeah, dumb, dumb connection, but it was like, oh, this must be where he got it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think it's like, I can't think of another example like that, but I do feel like it's a trope that comes up from time to time. Like, if you can spot the real, whatever, yeah. you know, like, you're the, you're the true heir, or you're the whatever. Yeah. Like, the sword and the stone, like, whoever can pull the stone, the sword from the stone. Anyway, um, so... I thought this was interesting, like, they didn't sh so they show Joan, like, talking to her troops, and they're, like, they're all behind her, 100%. There's, like, no argument about her being, like, a child or a girl. They're, like, we'll go wherever Yeah, her you hair is, to. like, flowing out of her headgear. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, all the men are, like, cool, tell us what to do, lady, we're ready. I thought that was interesting. I don't know, I don't know if there's, a. Uh, if there's an, an an alternate story where like everyone's very reluctant to follow her, but I thought that was interesting. Um, so then they show um, this is just a digression, but uh, Wishbone's chain chainmail costume too much. It was too much for me. So good, <laughs> so good. Um, so they show they're in a battle and um, Joan gets shot with an arrow, but still like encourages her troops to keep fighting and they end up winning the battle and she's a hero and it's very very exciting and then the next scene she's captured by the english and she's a prisoner of war so i'm not sure what happened very confusing one line i really like just before that big battle is she goes if there are a dozen of you who are not cowards that will be enough <laughs> <laughs> so like that helped them like you know win the battle but you're right that all of a sudden she was captured and she's a prisoner of war you know what's it's interesting? As we've been watching these, like, because it flips back and forth between Wishbone and the, like, book, they're able to skip plot points that, like, when you're telling it just in a line, like, doesn't make a lot of sense because those were two separate scenes, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> but, like, telling it this way, like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but in the, as you're watching the episode, it's like, oh, then, like, some time must have passed while Sam was playing soccer, and yeah. now jo Joan has been captured. <laughs> Um, and in this conversation, so you just mentioned it was a hundred years war. I truly do not recall my European history. I didn't do very well in the European history class I took in high school. And Joan says, you know, a thousand years, like we've been mired in this war. And I was like, I truly, frankly, just don't recall any 
any components of French history. I was like, okay, like I remember pieces of this, but I was like, all right. I don't know anything about it. I have a degree in 20th century history, so I don't know shit about European history. By then they were on the like Fourth Republic already. <laughs> yeah. Republic. Like, yeah. <laughs> I took two classes on World War II. I can tell you all about that, but I should not know shit about what happened in the 14th century. Oh yeah, that, that sounds about right for America's mandatory 19th century history or 20th right. century history. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I only care about stuff. Really, I was only concerned about things that I could like reasonably ask people in my life about. Like if my parents or grandparents knew anything about it, I was interested. Otherwise, I don't care. Um, so, so don't so, sentenced to death. Yes, she's a prisoner of war. She's getting she's being sentenced to death. Louis gets to visit her before she dies. And she's explaining to him that she doesn't mind dying because she knows that France will be free and that's more important than her like singular life is that all of France will be free and she is calm and he was like why aren't you freaking out you should be scared you should be you know upset and she was like I'm just thinking of our tree and I'm thinking of our special place and it is it's calming to me and I feel I feel content knowing that this is what's going to happen and then Louis promises to tell her story and make sure that no one forgets her and then I was like Hugh Hamilton <laughs> This is the whole point. Who lives, who dies, who tells your story. Oh yeah, that's one of the last songs, you're right. I was like, where is she going with this? Um, and Eliza tells Hamilton's story. It's very important. I did learn that from the musical, but again, since I know the musical is historical fiction. I yeah, oh, who, who knows if it's actually true? I yeah. just know that that's... I did like in this scene that they were like very frankly talking about the fact that she was gonna die. Like, yeah, this is a kid's show and yeah, this is like fiction that they're kind of teaching. I was like, the, a lot of these stories that we've been talking about have dealt with death and even in the wishbone part, like when we were talking yeah. about um, Rosie the dog and euthanizing the pets. So I kind of thought that was interesting. Well, and then, I mean, Joan, Joan of Arc was burned at the stake, and they show her, like, tied to a stake with flames around her, which is horrifying. Yeah. Like, it was crazy. Like, the show really got away with a lot. Yeah. And they say, like, you know, she, she died for her country, and her story is inspiring, and it lives on. Like, I think they did such a great job of talking about why she's an important figure in history, and, and why kids should be take pieces of her life and use it as inspiration for their own so that was that was the end of that storyline joan surrounded by flames it's terrifying <laughs> yeah i do think that they paired these two stories really well um when they like decided this was going to be the wish one storyline this is a story that we'll use i think you're right at the beginning you're like how do these kind of work and then we get to those points where Joan is talking about how she is scary, but she has courage and, you know, she believes in this bigger, larger, this mission that's larger than her. That's kind of a theme that kind of goes forward. And I think as adults, like we recognize that as the reality too. Right. Well, and I mean, like Joan of Arc's story ends sadly. She's burned at the stake as a child. Like that's horrible. And Sam's story, although not quite as dramatic, I mean, she, they didn't win, like, they won, but they didn't get it recorded for the history books, you know? Like, that's also a disappointment. 
So I think that the, that parallel is super interesting and in, like teaching kids how to rebound from things that are, that don't go exactly your way. Yeah. It was a good episode. It was a very good episode. I very much enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So do you have any um, notes on fashion or costuming that you would like to share? Not a, not a ton. Uh, you made mention of Wishbone's chainmail. My, that was great. Like, since Wishbone wasn't the main character of this episode, really, um, his, like, kind of costumes weren't as ostentatious as before. But yep. this actress who plays Joan also played Juliet and uh, has a lot of scenes that are just her and Wishbone, like, in that other episode and this one. And she she is, like, overly theatrical in some ways, but I was just really impressed by her work and also the dog training work because so many <laughs> of the scenes are just her and the dog. Yeah, I thought they were really good. I, she, I think she's also Calypso in the in the Odyssey. Yeah. She's, she's like a regular player for yeah, sure. She's, definitely seen I think her. she's in the Tempest. I think she might be a she might be Athena or Calypso, but I do remember her being, she might be Athena and the Aeneid. Like, yeah, she's in a bunch. Yeah. Yeah, she's a very good um, co-star to Wishbone, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, the only fashion note I had was the kids' uniforms when they were playing soccer. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> How were they wearing? They were wearing, like, polo shirt jerseys, which, okay, fine. That was normal for back then. No, totally normal. Shorts, and then they all had sweatpants under their shorts, even though they were inside. Did they all? I thought only some of them did. Oh, I don't know. A lot of them did, for a sure. A lot of them had gray sweatpants under their shorts, but on the Magic team, their shorts were also black, but, like, some of the people seemed to be just be wearing black pants. Mm. Maybe they're wearing black sweatpants under, but I was, yeah. like, confused. Which, I mean, definitely, like, okay, I played soccer in Wisconsin in the spring and fall, so, like, I definitely wore pants under my shorts yeah. more often than I just wore my shorts, right? Like, I mean, yeah. there was and no yeah. way that I was out playing soccer in March without leggings or something under my shorts. So but I did, I did look something else up during this episode, which might relate to this. Um, at the very end in the credits, I saw that it was filmed outside Dallas. Um, and that, which A, explains a lot of Walker, Texas Ranger crossover with a lot of actors because that was also filmed in Dallas. Mm. But if they're filming this like inside this field house, it's like air conditioned or maybe like it's a long work day for the kids, then maybe it's cold and that's why they're wearing sweatpants or maybe for the camera, like sweatpants like pick up better than their scrawny little legs. <laughs> maybe. I just thought it was interesting. Also, I didn't catch the back of Sam's jersey, so I don't know if it had her name on it. But I noticed the, the other boys had their name had on name. the back. I was dying to have my name printed on my soccer jersey as a kid. I just wanted that so badly. I don't know why. I just thought it would be so it legit. It super cool. It was That yeah. kind of thing was expensive, we know, as adults, but like it seems super cool. Yeah, we never had our names on our jerseys. Would have had like an iron-on day. <laughs> Oh, I, I, I played some sports, maybe in like fifth and sixth grade, but I was terrible at it. Looking back, I probably should have played a lot more sports because that like makes you a better human and like learn how to interact with people. <laughs> but I, I simply do not have hand-eye coordination. <laughs> I don't either. I played soccer for three years. I was horrible at it. I had like one good save as a goalie in one game. That was it. 
And then I played basketball for like half a season and that was it. So do you have any key takeaways? Yeah, I think it can be scary to try new things. And I think part of, you know, bolstering yourself or having the courage to do that is having like a support system and a community around you who like believes in you and also like is there to support you when things go well and also is there to support you when things don't go so well um you don't always have that in any stage of life really so yeah it's kind of that's the thing i noticed <laughs> yeah i thought too wishbone closes the episode by saying you can lose the battle and still win the war and i think like teaching kids to kind of take a step back see the bigger picture that like sometimes you have a bad day sometimes you stumble but that doesn't mean that like everything is terrible and that like your whole situation is on a downward trajectory i think that's a good life lesson for myself and for children of all ages so i think i like we said before i think this was a really good episode i very much enjoyed it i think it's one of my favorites that we've watched so far I agree. I think the way those two stories went together, it was engaging. It was fun. Um, definitely one of the good, fun Wishman episodes that is memorable. Cool. So do you have any recommendations for our listeners for this week? You know, I we talked at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> like I was like, oh, I don't have a recommendation. And I think part of that is because I've really been like in a little bit of flux over the last couple of days and like like changing a lot of things up. And I think my recommendation is to take it easy on yourself. <laughs> like this is just a time where it's really easy to impose like productivity expectations on yourself, which is true of any time. Um, and you know, if it's a problem you can solve tomorrow or a problem you can simply not solve, and move on with, then that's okay. It's kind of a time to really allow yourself a lot of grace when you're attacking things or deciding not to attack them. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I've been thinking about that a lot, like, as we've been in this pandemic now for almost six months, I think at the beginning it felt like a sprint, right? Like everyone was like trying to learn new things, everyone was trying to take on new skills, everyone was trying to like do, 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 and I think what we're learning is that it is a marathon. It is not a sprint, right? And so like, there are going to be days where you're like, you just don't, and that's okay too. So it's good. Give yourself a little space and a little grace to do whatever you need to do. Um, my recommendation is pretty low key. I am going to recommend Succulents. Uh, <laughs> Sean and I were talking about these earlier this week. I, at the beginning of the pandemic, had two plants, um, one in a dinosaur planter and one in a fox planter. That was a gift. And I now have nine succulents that I'm caring for, all in animal planters. I just installed a new shelf in my dining room, which I'm looking at as I'm talking to Shauna, that has a bunch of um, succulents on it. And I have them on top of my microwave in my kitchen. And they make me super happy. They're like the lowest key caretaking of anything on the planet. Far less work than my dog. Um, which is another <laughs> recommendation, get a, get a pet <laughs> during the pandemic. But um, yeah, these plants just make me really happy and you can find really affordable planters that are whimsical and fun. They don't have to be animals, but they should be. And it'll give you something to do. So I recommend it. 
That's a good one. I have one tiny succulent that's like the size of my fist that I've kept alive for, I think, four years now. And it's just so impressive. It, I'm very impressed with myself, frankly. <laughs> all right. Well, that wraps up this episode. Thank you all so much for joining us. And we're looking forward to talking to you next week. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Subscribe to What's the Story with Jillian and Shauna wherever you listen to podcasts. Every episode of Wishbone is on YouTube, and we've linked them for you at wishbonepodcast.com. Hope you'll join in.